This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's go together to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount and helping the citizens of his kingdom. Believers in him know how to be supremely happy as they yield themselves completely to the Lord. Those beatitudes give us the right frame of reference in our own hearts. And then uh, as we present ourselves to those who are not yet of his kingdom, that we're trying to reach uh, for him. As we start the message today, this is one of those messages where I would much rather be preaching on something else. Uh, Preachers are supposed to preach the whole counsel of God. There's a lot in that counsel, and there's a lot that's direct and really causes us to look in the mirror and see where we are at spiritually. Uh, We're all to be guardians of the truth, to earnestly contend for the faith. But would you pray for those, even in our midst here, we've got some pastors, missionaries. We have to lead, we get to lead uh, out in defending and, and standing for truth. And sometimes that truth, many times that truth, flies right in the face of where the culture is at. And unfortunately, because the church, in, in many instances, it's just a few steps behind the culture, let's be honest, we're having to deal with some of these things in our lives too. And so our text takes us to the next section of what our Lord taught, Matthew chapter 5. And let's begin reading in verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And this is all part of the same Pericope, the same section in Scripture, verse 31. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Wow. And I think on that hillside that day, it was as quiet as what it is in here right now. All right, so what is the Lord teaching here? Well, citizens of heaven's kingdom are influenced by the world in many ways. One of the most powerful ways, and frankly, it's because of the way God made our bodies, the desires He's given us, the hormones that he's given us. One of the ways that we struggle is in this area of sexual 
impurity. While marriage has been God's divine plan to fulfill these God-given desires, to raise up godly children, and to illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church, every society either resists or succumbs to the fire of lustful passion. And yet, righteousness and the righteousness of heaven's citizens makes a difference. goes back to what we learned in the previous verses here. How are we to be salt and light? Well, we're not promiscuous like they are. We're going to honor the Lord with our body and with our spirit, which belong to God. We are not our own. And yet isn't God good? Every desire He gives us, He's given us a wonderful way to fulfill it, and His plan is best. So in the Sermon on the Mount, let's review momentarily. Jesus focused on the righteous living that distinguished kingdom citizens from earthly citizens. In the Beatitudes, he taught how to be supremely happy by having contrite hearts that please him and then that give mercy and spiritual guidance to others. He taught us to be salt and light to earth citizens who are in darkness. And I will remind us through the rest of this year and into next year about our missions theme. We're called to bring the light that has shown into the darkness, we're to shine that as Christ works through us. Jesus taught us to take seriously all that he has spoken, right down to the smallest letter, the phonetic markings in Scripture. It's all important. It'll all be fulfilled. That's why it's important. We better be paying attention. Jesus didn't come to annul or loosen down anything that was in the law, but to complete its meaning, and the subject before us this morning we're going to see the Lord do this masterfully again. Now, as we continue in Matthew 5, the king will take six important laws from the Old Testament and interpret them in the complete way that he intended. By the time of Christ, the religious leaders in Israel had twisted things, had added to, had interpreted, uh, where, where in many cases they completely annulled the meaning. The Lord emphasizes that outward actions aren't the only thing that matter. Sins can be committed in the heart and mind without ever becoming action. The second sin that Jesus addresses that we're going to look at today is adultery. And he shows how this awful sin can be committed in the heart whether it turns into action or not. As Jesus again illustrates how he came to complete the law. He also teaches how to maintain kingdom righteousness within our marriages. So the message title today, Maintaining Kingdom Righteousness in Marriage. And we're talking about purity. So let's look at the text now more closely. Verse 27, Matthew 5. Ye have heard that it was said of them by old time, or by them of old time, Literally, again, by the old ones, your forefathers of earlier generations and those Jews on that hillside knew, men like Moses, what the prophets said in support of the law. Okay, By them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. 
Now where is that stated? Exodus 20, Ten Commandments, verse 14. The repeat of the law, the second law, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 18. Okay, so it's established in the law, God said it. They knew it. Verse 28, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman, look closely to lust after her. So looking on a woman with the express purpose of desiring or longing for her. Now obviously, anytime you commit sexual immorality, a companion sin is always covetousness because you're desiring, you're wanting something that doesn't belong to you. However, in this context, the Lord is saying to look with a desire to have in an immoral way. That individual has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's what God says. He's saying you are guilty of the adulterous act that you just thought about. I think we're all grateful that people can't see what we're thinking. But God can. He does. And when we think the thought, we're guilty. Okay, When we think it for pleasure. Now, it doesn't mean that the thought is arising and we do battle with the temptation. That's not sin. But when, when we yield, when we continue to think, or we allow that to turn into action, whatever it is, it's sin. This sin is so serious in God's eyes that it was punishable in the Old Testament by stoning. And so, in John chapter 8, they bring a woman to the Lord who was caught in the very act of adultery. And they want the Lord to weigh in on whether she should be stoned or not. And we know how the Lord perfectly handles that situation. He exposes these hypocrites for who they are, because if you catch her in the act, there's got to be somebody else involved. Didn't bring him. Okay. So brought her, and the Lord says this, those of you that are without sin cast the first stone. So what he's saying is, I am siding with the law of Moses. She deserves to be stoned. But those of you that are out without sin, you need to do the stoning. Well, the reality is, if you study the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they were just as immoral as the rest of the population. In fact, history tells us that they would go into a town in their travels. They would seek out someone they wanted to sleep with that night, marry her, and the next morning, trump up something, divorce her, and go on to that. But, but it, was all, it was all okay. It wasn't okay rotten all right and so the Lord who is full of grace and truth we're told that at the beginning of John's gospel we're going to see that in the Lord in his handling of that situation he's full of truth he's going to support the truth but then there's grace what's understood in the text that is as the Lord is writing on the ground he stoops down he's writing these Pharisees start leaving because they know, he knows. <laughs> they are leaving 
But what's also understood in the text that she's repenting. And I, I don't know about this for sure, but I think during Jesus' earthly ministry, all it took was a look in his eye and things start happening here. And so she, she's dealing with the sin in her own heart. The Lord stands up, knowing what has happened in her heart. Where are your accusers? Well, they're gone. Neither do I accuse thee. Why? Because the Lord gave her a pass. No, he didn't. He knew her repentant heart. And he encourages her, go, sin no more. All right. So that is our Lord. But stoning, that's, that's a serious, serious matter. Now, without being too technical uh, theologically, you also have to remember this. What did allow a person to remarry according to the law? And then uh, Paul reiterates it in Romans chapter 7. If the spouse dies... Do you know what stoning took care of? A spouse died. Okay. So that was God's way of there being another marriage. But what's he doing? He's preserving the sanctity of marriage and the strength of the home. That's what he's doing. All right. So let's, let's continue on now in the text. This sin is so serious it required stoning in the Old Testament. Jesus will go on to teach that it's even more serious because it takes someone, it makes someone worthy of eternal judgment. He doesn't say it once, he says it twice in hellfire. Now here's the principle. The Lord is going to go on to teach this, and you're going to see it. Remove the enablers of adultery. Remove the enablers of adultery and you remove the eternity for adulterers. We're going to look at this in a little bit more detail, but when you take away what enables the adultery, you also take away the eternity for the adulterer. Now what are the enablers? Well, Jesus already mentioned one in verse 28. Whoso looketh. Whoso looketh. Now let me just address our, our little people here today. And Sunday school workers, children's church, I hope you're still teaching this song. I learned it with it when I was a kid. And now as an adult, I understand how important it is. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a father up above who's looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Why? There are eternal ramifications if you're not careful here. Be careful, hands, what you touch. Remember that? Uh, we learned that together. All right. So the first enabler, verse 29, and if thy right eye offend thee. Why the right eye? Really what the Lord is showing us here is your best or your favored eye. And by the way, we all have one. It's the one you use if you shoot. Uh, it's the, you know, if you're going to aim anything, you do have a predominant eye, whatever eye that is, okay? If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. Now that word offend is the idea of being trapped. If your right eye causes you to be trapped, 
Hold that in your mind because it's going to become even more important uh, when we, we get down to the idea of your right arm offending you. So hold that thought. But the point is, our eyes can trap us. Don't you wish that your eyes would bring into the mind what is important and you could never forget it? Like a textbook. I'd have to read it and read it and read it, all right? Have somebody quiz me on it. Okay, we've, we've all been there. Why is it there's a stuff we shouldn't remember it sticks like glue? Ugh! Okay, well... It's called a fallen world and fallen flesh. That's the reality. But it's the idea of our, one of our members, and here the eye, causing us to be trapped. And because it will do that, it would be better to pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. So, perish, your life be spared, with that member gone, then that your whole body end up in an eternal hell. D.A. Carson made this quote, made this statement, quote, Imagination is a God-given gift, but, but if it is fed dirt by the eye, it will be dirty. All sin, not least sexual sin, begins with the imagination, end quote. Now remember here, and I just need to mention this, Jesus is teaching about the righteousness of kingdom citizens, the righteousness that they have, not that good works allow you to go to heaven. Well, uh, I've, I've battled with this particular sin, and if I get this sin out of my life, now God's got to let me into heaven. That's not what he's teaching. He's, he's already sharing, here is, I mean, he's talking to his citizen kingdoms, who, kingdom citizens who are already righteous, okay? And, and he's saying, praise God you're righteous because if you were like earth citizens and this sin was still in your life, it's going to cost you dearly eternally. Look at verse 30. And if thy right hand offend thee, your favored hand. How many of you are right-handed today? How many of you are left-handed? Okay, I'm left-handed. My this this is the favored hand. Okay. How many of you you can use both to do whatever? Oh, well, we do have one taker. All right. Pastor Tobin says you're amphibious. All right. Um, ambidextrous, but. He gets his Spanglish mixed up. And anyway, okay. My left is my favorite hand. Most of you, as I looked out, most of you, it's, it's the right hand. Now, if your right hand offend, if it is the trap, you'd be better off cutting it off and casting it from you. That's, that's what Jesus is saying. And do you think at this point he's got everybody's attention? Sure. Now, in Bible times, just like today, they would use traps or snares. And I, I put one on a slide for you to be able to see. A lot of people don't, don't know what these are. 
All right, I grew up on a farm, and if we have any environmentalists or PETA people here, okay, uh, I love pita bread, by the way, but we're not talking about that. Um, please, please stay with me. See, growing up on a farm, you realize you've got to preserve the animals for people to eat. Do we understand that? Okay. And so farmers would use traps because you didn't want the fox or the coyote to get in the hen house. Or bigger traps because you really want to keep the wolves and the bears away from your livestock. All right. And so they would put these traps out. They'd bait them or they'd cover them, hoping that one of these threats to their livestock or whatever would walk by and you step, you, you, you step on that center plate and those, those arms, and sometimes they have teeth on them, come together and trap the animal. All right. So... It's been known to happen, and we're far enough away from lunch that I'll go ahead and tell this. But animals realize I'm in this trap, and it's not going to end well. Some of them would actually bite through an appendage so they could escape. Yeah. And so it was not uncommon. I had this happen on our farm. Walk out, and you find what's left of the critter. The critter's gone. Why? Because they know it's better to lose a limb than to lose your life. Now, that is what the Lord is trying to help them understand. So the question in everybody's mind is, is the Lord really teaching self-mutilation? The answer is no, because that is forbidden in the law as well. Okay? So he's not teaching self-mutilation. There are those in church history that took this literally. And to help with temptation, they took that step. That is not what the Lord is teaching here. Okay? By the way, does cutting something off, does that free you from the temptation of lust? No. So if you go back to the account of what happened in Sodom, an angel struck all those men of the city with blindness. Did that stop them from wanting to fulfill their fleshly, wicked desires? Answer is no. By the way, what did stop? Fire. Okay, judgment. So, what, what is the Lord, what is He trying to say to us here? Okay, Is He teaching self-harm? No. But he is teaching radical amputation, a radical response to deal with whatever may be tempting us into adultery. Now, some of this is going to sound pretty radical. You may have to block people on Facebook. <gasps> Delete them from your contact list. Forever or whatever is needed so you don't go back to that temptation. Some people have gotten rid of their televisions, their computers, gotten rid of cable TV. Whatever is necessary so that I'm not tempted, I'm not tempted when I'm alone to go back to that temptation to commit, in this context, 
sexual sin. Be accountable. Let somebody else control your money. Whatever enables you, be radical, be committed to stopping it. Is it worth it? Well, if it saves your marriage, is it worth it? If it doesn't destroy the, the lives of your children, is it worth it? If it preserves your testimony so your neighbors don't go to hell because you have a testimony, is it worth it? What about the family that you've been praying will get saved and then they see you do something like that? It's worth it. By the way, for the unbeliever, those parts of you that sought pleasure in adultery will be forever rewarded with torment in eternal hell. It's a real place, just as heaven is. Jesus will repeat this all again in Matthew 18, 8 and 9. It won't take time to read it, but he says it again. And then he expands on it in Mark 9, 30, or 43 to 47, where the Lord includes the foot. If your foot offends you, same principle. Now, hell is the eternity of adulterers, where the penalty for this awful sin is paid, and those who habitually do these things prove that they were never citizens of heaven to begin with. Now, there's more that we could say about the specific things that the Lord points out. One of the greatest threats to your life is your eye gate. just is. Garbage in, garbage out. You can't think it unless you see it. And if you go back through the Old Testament and the scriptures of those who failed morally, you will find every time David, Samson, and company. Where did it start? I have seen a woman of the daughters of the Philistines in Timnath. Now go get her for me to wife. Now, Praise God, there is forgiveness and deliverance. I want us to hold our places and just, just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians 6, notice please verse 9. It's not just this particular sin. It's all unrighteousness. Verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate or abusers of themselves with the mankind. Okay, so that's homosexuality. The Bible says that. Okay, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Heaven wouldn't be heaven if that stuff got let in. But here's the good news, and such were some of you. <laughs> but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now let's just be honest. Let's be honest this morning. And such were some of us. Us. But we've been delivered. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, well, see, there's just a bunch of self-righteous Christians 
Oh, no. Oh, no. This preacher and everybody in this room who knows the Lord, we have been rescued. We've been rescued. And our flesh is capable of this junk too, except that through Christ we are now new creatures. And if you don't know Christ, He can deliver you out of that slavery and you can have a free conscience and live free from this stuff too. But is it true that those who commit this sin are also worthy of hell? I love the teaching in Proverbs. Solomon, of, it, of all men, knew the danger of this. His way of dealing with it is he just kept marrying people. A thousand to be exact. Look at what he says in Proverbs 7, verse 24. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to my words. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, nor go astray after her. This is the adulteress. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way of what? Her house is the way of hell, going down to the chambers of death. Okay, so pretty clear distinction here. So let's, let's finish up this morning. The enablers of this sin included body members like the eyes, hands, and feet. Yet there is another enabler. What's that enabler? Verse 31. Jesus turns to the enabler of divorce. Yeah. Many people think, well, I'll, I'll just divorce my wife or my husband and marry someone else. Or I'll make my adultery legal by a divorce. Maybe it's a combination of these things. Now what Jesus is going to say is that lust and divorce are the moral equivalents of adultery. Now let me, let me quickly add, if it's used to fulfill this purpose. Watch how the Lord goes on to complete this part of the law. Verse 31. It hath been said. So again, we're recognizing that, right? Here's the law. Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. That's what the law says. Now we could go back again to where that's stated in Deuteronomy 24. I think we need to point out there that in the law it's permitted, but it's not commanded. All right. So in Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, God was working to stop hasty divorces, support the sanctity of marriage, and keep families strong. Let's go to Deuteronomy. And by the way, I'm so thankful for this passage of Scripture because living in America in 2020, I have had to go here repeatedly along with other very clear passages to help God's people in making some very difficult choices. But notice in Deuteronomy 24 what the first four, ver first four verses teach. When a man had taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes. Now, without being technical, the Hebrew here means he finds a moral uncleanness. 
Okay, that's, that's what's referred to here. Because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, give it to her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement, giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she is defiled, and that is an abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance." Now, without going into a lot of detail, what the Lord is, is, has placed here, put in place, protection for the woman. Because any man can trump up anything. But also, it doesn't just allow for speedy, let me put it in our modern terms, no contest divorce. If you're going to do this, you better have a good reason and think through it. Now, again, that's not my theology. But that is what the Lord was trying to stop in Israel because any time that a woman in that day, in Jesus' day, found herself divorced, she was very, very vulnerable. What does she do now? There is no social security check coming in the mail. You may or may not have family who can support you. All right, so the Lord was addressing those issues at that time. However, it was done primarily, we know from Matthew 19, verse 8, because of the hardness of the hearts of the Israelites. And the Lord will go on there to say, but from the beginning, it was not so. That was not God's plan. Now look at verse 32. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife... Saving for the cause of fornication. And that is the actual act of unfaithfulness. Physically. Causeth her to commit adultery. So the whole thought here is, if she gets divorced, it doesn't mean she's an adulteress. But what happens is the word here causes, pressures her to do an action that doesn't please the Lord where someone is pressured to do something that wouldn't honor God just to be able to eat and survive. And then he goes on, And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Now let's, let's apply this. Divorce today is so prevalent that the thoughts of many may be, well, was my divorce legitimate? Okay? And that's, that's a fair question because God's people, many of God's people, they just want to make sure that they're, they're right with the Lord, that they're living pleasing to the Lord. Now, I've preached on this subject in detail, and I'll resist the temptation to preach it again. And here's why. You say, well, pastor is bailing. No, I'm not. But here's what's interesting about the text. The Lord doesn't preach that either. So we're going to stay true to the text. He doesn't address those things here. Jesus didn't answer all these questions here. Instead, he, emphasizing, he is emphasizing to do all you can through his power to deny your flesh and avoid adultery. 
How many people would get divorced if there wasn't divorce? I think that's, that's a silly question. No, if, if, the, if folks thought, I have to make this marriage work by the power of God, how many of them would stay with it? Now, again, our minds want to race. Look, I believe the Lord allows for self-defense. There are abusive situations. I understand all that. And Scripture addresses that clearly where you can be protected and remove yourself from the home. Okay? But the point of the text is do all you can to avoid adultery. Don't try to figure out a way to legitimize it. Don't use divorce as an excuse to continue your adultery or get what you want. And I would just quickly add, thank God for this church family. I thank God for the mindset that's here that, you know, marriage needs to be permanent. The marriage I'm in right now, I need to trust God, make that work. And I'll just say this. People say, well, why, why the emphasis on the man here? Okay, she, she's kind of the, uh, off to the, the side because most often if men would lead in a godly way, honor and pursue their wives all of their days, marriages wouldn't struggle. I think that's why God is focusing on the man here. But if you have any questions, come see me. All right, and, and I'll, we'll, we'll talk about what the scripture says. And, and, and at the end of whatever God has, has shown us related to your marriage situation, <clears throat> it's very simple. You just need to agree with God about what he has said and then go on serving him. Okay? So we want to we be very careful there, but I don't want all these other things to detract from, distract from what the text is teaching. Folks, we ought to be against adultery and be avoiding it at all cost. Praise God for examples of men like Joseph of old. By the way, a teenager at the time, young people, that when he was being attempted by an adulteress, a prominent lady in Egypt, by the way, he identified it for what it was. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And then when she grabbed hold of him, he broke some speed records. And he got out of there. And oh, by the way, one of the questions I have when I get to heaven is, what happened to Mrs. Potiphar when Joseph was prime minister? Yeah, how well did that go? You see, truth is going to be justified by her children. And God bless Joseph for being a morally pure man. When his hormones and practical, <clears throat> this, was, this was just the perfect opportunity, but it wasn't. So how do you view the sin of adultery this morning? That's the, the final question here. Christian, if you're married... It's your responsibility to maintain kingdom righteousness in your marriage and avoid sexual sin at all cost. And by the way, when you give in to it, you offend God. What is the sin that God continued to refer to when Israel 
stop serving him. It was spiritual adultery. That's what it was. So this hits home with God. When we take what is God's, when we take what belongs to our spouse, our bodies, and we give this physically to someone else, either mentally or physically, God hates it. Unmarried Christian, your actions now either weaken or help your marriage in the future. You take liberties now, you, you are careless morally now, it's going to affect your marriage. Trust me. You're taking the necessary, are you taking the necessary steps now to maintain your purity? And then unsaved listener, sexual sin is just one of many sins that will cause you to experience the judgment of God in hellfire forever. It's just one of them. But it's one that we know we can all fail and go there. But the good news is you can be forgiven of it all, including a failed marriage. And if you'll repent, agree with God, and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, He'll completely cleanse your life and He'll give you eternal life. I hope today, regardless of your past, come to Christ if you don't know Him. He wants to save you. He wants to deliver you and make you a citizen of His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, this truth is hard because we live in such a promiscuous society Lord, where people expect to be impure and not to be uh, married uh, without past sinful experience. And yet, Father, thank you that citizens of your kingdom can be pure. Walk down the aisle and a bride be dressed in white and it mean what it's intended to mean. Father, we all have a past. And Lord, there are things in our past that we regret. For many Christians, there's, there's sexual sin back there. But Lord, thank you for the cleansing of the cross, the blood of Christ. And thank you that now we can serve you spotless, without blemish. And, Lord, our marriages can be a true picture of Christ in the church. So as we close out this service, would you do your work in hearts? And, Father, uh, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that they'd be saved today. Meet with us in these final moments. Holy Spirit, do your convicting work, we pray in Jesus' name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received, Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.